Thank you for downloading this episode of the Carbon Life Pods, conversations with the creative, successful, inspired outliers. Available on Fountain App, Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Anchor FM. Special mention to at Britcoin Boomer, who is right now on his second trip to the Ukraine-Poland border, delivering much-needed aid. Through the Carbon Live Pods, 63,000 sats have been donated. For more details on what Bruce is doing, give him a follow on Twitter at Britcoin Boomer, with links also in the show notes. To get involved with this show, download the Fountain App and listen to your favourite podcast through the platform, providing you, the listener, with an opportunity to engage directly with content creators and also be in with a chance to win sats and also other prizes. Stay tuned on all social media platforms for future competitions. If you can't wait to win some sats, then you can earn some by using the affiliate link coincorner.com forward slash social forward slash coach carbon. Create an account and receive £10 when you purchase £100 or more worth of Bitcoin. For any European listeners, you can use affiliate link bitcoinreserve.com forward slash ref forward slash coach carbon and receive €10 with your first qualifying Bitcoin purchase. For the truly global listeners, use fastbitcoins.com forward slash join forward slash coach carbon as fast bitcoins is available in the UK, Brazil, Australia and Canada to name just a few. Finally, if you haven't done so already, check out at Oxbit on Twitter. The mission is to create an environment for all to discuss and help educate on the core fundamentals of Bitcoin. Meeting 1 was a huge success, so stay tuned for Meeting 2 details in the near future. Massive thanks to Coin Corner Molly and the Coin Corner team for sponsoring the bar. By learning about and adopting Bitcoin, you will not only be peering your head into the rabbit hole of financial curiosity, but also be doing your part to fix the money and eventually fix the world. Until such time, whether you are working, exercising or relaxing, please enjoy this conversation and allow it to spice up your life. So I'm going to start this episode by saying it won't be a perfect one, but hopefully it will stick permanently in your mind. And I'll explain more about that quote later. But if you'd like to introduce yourself. So uh, Mike Ford. Um, my association with Josias was 20 years ago, young player at Oxford United, and I was his uh, new team coach. Uh, we sort of kept in touch a little bit between uh, then and now. Phoned uh, me the other day, and absolute pleasure to have a chat to him on this podcast. Thank you for that. Um, I must say, when I called you, it took me back to being a young, a young player again, because I was explaining what I was trying to do. I said, I've had a podcast since uh, 2020, and I've been speaking to people um, that, I've, that I've found inspiring, that I, that I think can give a bit of insight into successful life. And you stopped me and said, how long have you been doing it? I said, since 2020. And I thought you were going to say, oh, well done, Jay. Congratulations. And your first point was, and it's taken you two years to call me up. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, did, I did laugh at that, typical, typical 40. But um, yeah, you're, you're probably right. It, it shouldn't have taken me this long. Um, as I mentioned to you on the phone, you were probably mentioned, or one of your quotes was mentioned every single episode. Um, there's habits that we learn. I say we as youth team players learn under your management that we still use now. And I speak to players that I grew up with that we still talk about it. And probably every day with my family, a, I recount a story of my youth team days. And there was only three, three years, four years, including the schoolboy year. Those memories and those habits, and those disciplines, as I said, I still take into life now. And the lifestyle I have now with the coaching and the disciplines I put into training, it makes me realise, yeah, there's, there's a lot more that I say we, I could have done. But with the, with the benefit of hindsight, it's easy to look back and say, oh, I should have done that. But for me, again, these, these podcasts are to help inspire, educate people. They were, it was made for my son. 
my daughter listens to a few and when she gets older I hope she listens to a few more and it's just yeah if one person can get value from these conversations then it's worthwhile and I believe from this conversation there'll be lots of little snippets to take out of it but if you could explain your journey from how you started in your profession because when yeah when we spoke on the phone I realized your life has completely changed to, to what I thought it was um so always a football background my dad was a, a pro footballer in the 60s um he had to retire early due to a ruptured spleen um he went into management so from the day I can first remember anything until now it's been football um and it's probably been that way not just because my I was introduced to football at an early age but it has it's a passion um and you can if it's something you love you enjoy doing however you do it, however good you are at it or not, you, you follow your passion. Um, so even now at my age, I want to be involved in football. I think I've got a little bit to give to, to people I work with. Um, so my, my professional career started at 16, uh, often an apprenticeship Leicester. Um, great experience. Lived in a, a house with a couple of, um, a married couple, who basically looked after us and it was absolute chaos. Honestly, it was <laughs> the stuff we got up to, you can imagine at that age was ridiculous. Um, but I actually still speak to a few of them now, 30 odd years later. Um, and that, that probably shows the bond that, that we had together then. Um, didn't work out for me there. Uh, and again, in hindsight, I do recognize the fact I was never good enough to get in the first team at Leicester at the time, because we had Alan Smith in the team, Gary Enneker in the team, we had some real, real top players, um, and I was never, ever going to be good enough. So I did a couple of trials after getting released at 18. Um, I ended up at Cardiff, managed to get myself a short-term contract. Um, the manager that offered me the contract got the sack so before I'd signed it. So I had to prove myself all over again. Fortunately, it worked out. And I ended up spending four years there, um, two relegations my first two years in football um, and probably if I look at it now the biggest it was the biggest learning curve of, of my life let alone career and probably about those two years I may not have built up the resilience and, and the, the ability to overcome adversity um, which I which I did um, 10 years at Oxford two years back at uh, Cardiff three years on a coaching staff at Oxford and then I've been sort of working um, and in non-league football ever since and um, and we are here today and obviously I had the, the pleasure of working with Josiah for a couple of years um, with that group of lads and we did have a good group we had some lads that went on to be international footballers and, and obviously the Jamie Brooks story is, is well documented but um, I'm sure Josiah can speak on behalf of them but they, they, they were a really good group and, um, and I love working with all of them. Yeah it def definitely was great group of players but I'll, I'll touch upon that in a second but just wanted to go back to your coaching journey was that always in the plan from from your playing days or did it just was it just something that happened to be the right place right time from your transition yeah from, so I, I think i think very early on i wanted to be i want to stay in the game so as i've as i've said it's a passion it's something i absolutely love and i couldn't imagine not being with it so that was my driver to stay in the game. Honestly, it, I hadn't planned it well enough. I'd managed to get myself a B license when I finished playing, but I hadn't made 
any sort of connection with enough people to just fall into a job. Fortunately, the UT manager at Oxford at the time left. I can't remember who it was. Dennis Smith phoned me. Dennis had gone back. So again, something else had fell into place. And Dennis said, look, Mickey Lewis is going to move up from UT manager to, to take on the role as my assistant. And we'd like you to come in and work with us as the UT coach. So got really lucky um, and spent three years going from muting manager to reserve manager to assistant manager to caretaker on a couple of, couple of occasions. And, and the club was probably in free fall at the time as well. It was a really difficult situation moving from the Managram, having had so many memories, to the Kassam, which was a pretty soulless place. Mm. Um, but I always wanted to be in coaching. Um, I managed to get my B licence, I think, in my second year of running youth in Oxford. I've kept my, B, I've kept my A licence. Um, and 20 years ago, I know you talked about the time we spent together, Jay, but I would do it a lot differently now. Things have moved on. I think I've become a far better coach than I was at the time. Um, coaching means things differently now. Coaching is <laughs> trying to prize something from somebody rather than tell them what to do. Yeah. Um, so I would I would do it differently. Um, and you do hear the phrase old school habits, but I still keep those with me because I think they are generational. Um, hard work is hard work in whatever generation you are. Um, doing the best you can on a daily basis is something you should keep with you for the rest of your life. So clearly there would be things I would do differently, but I love the time and yeah, always wanted to be in football. It, it's funny you mentioned that because I think the last time I was, saw you in proper management. I was playing for Wantage at the time. I think you were management, manager at Banbury. And your whole persona would change. And we were on the bench. I was saying to people, I thought he's mellowed out because he, wouldn't, he wasn't like that when we were growing up. But yeah, as you say, your, your coaching style changes. You, you learn different things and you, know, you learn how to interact with players. Um, Do you know what, Jay? I think, I think the biggest thing that I learned was that everyone wasn't me. Hmm. So if a manager gave me a bollocking, I'd go, OK, got on with it. Yeah. And I thought everyone was the same as me. <laughs> I thought, do you know what? I could bollock everyone and they're going to react. But clearly that's not the case. Yeah. Some will, some won't. Some yeah. need treating completely differently. And that's probably where I would be different now. Yeah. Totally different to where I was then. Um, I just, I thought it, it was the right thing to do at that time because I didn't know any different. Mm. It's not an excuse, but I didn't know anything different. Um, 20 years on, I know a lot different. Yeah, well, that, that's understandable. Obviously, you just come out of the game, and it's funny because I'm looking at my, um, sorry, my people like my parents, uh, my uncles, and I had a conversation with someone the other day to say we're at the age now when we looked up to them or thought they had it all sorted out, whereas they were still learning. You're fresh out of the game, got into management, haven't got much experience. You're still learning your role, whereas we're looking at you as an ex-pro, now our coach manager we believe or think that you do you know everything, but it's now looking back, understanding that that wasn't the case. Well, absolutely. So um, if you think about players, coaches, sorry, so coaches stroke managers that didn't really have a career, when they get to 35, they've been coaching for 15 years. I got to 35, I'd coach zero. Mm. So although I think being a pro does give you some sort of, um, knowledge, the real life being in that situation of hanging on to a lead with two minutes to go because your job depends on it. I think that's a, you know, a valuable thing to have. Yeah. But to actually coach, you get the best out of people. 
but I haven't done any of it. Um, and looking, you know, when, when I do look sometimes at, at people that are having now coaching and managerial careers, I used to go, how have they done that? Because they didn't play. But mm. That's irrelevant. The fact is they've learned to be a coach. They've learned to be a manager and they've done bloody well at it. So fair play to them. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, st- studying a game does, does come down to a lot with, with coaching and management. Um, I, I started the, the podcast with um, a, a touch upon um, being perfect and permanent. So, so for saying that, I learned from you that I say all the time and I pull up everyone that says, oh, practice makes perfect. I said, no, practice makes permanent because no one's perfect or nothing can be perfect. And I know my family probably gets sick of it, but that has stuck with me because it's a case of you're always striving to be better. And I'm reminded daily of another discipline that we had, our habit was undoing our shoelaces. And a little story, we used to get fined if our shoelaces were done up. If we took them off and the shoelaces were done up and people used to go around and do people's shoelaces up. So you always had had to be aware that if Ford was around and you saw your shoelaces done up, that's for fine. And people, when I I mentioned this on the podcast before, and then when I speak to people, they'd be like, but I don't get it. If we understood it as it's all about care and attention. So if you're not undoing your shoelaces, you're breaking down the back. Well, they're not going to last very long. So you're going to need a new pair. So you're not taking care of it. And if that's the case, then you're not taking, how can I trust that you're going to take care on the pitch with a two five yard pass? Or how can I trust that you are going to be disciplined enough to track your man back in the, in a 90th minute when you're one no up. And so that little discipline there, I do every day that my kids laugh at. And I say to them all the time, under your shoelaces, my missus doesn't do it. And I absolutely hate it. I see her breaking down the back of the shoe. And I'm like, what are you doing? There's no care and attention. And it's little things like that. You think once you have that in your life, that can improve on, on so much. <laughs> Well, I think I think Jay, on its own, not doing your shoe, not undoing your shoelaces is, is pretty inconsequential, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But it's all those other little bits. And, and I, you know, I've forgotten that, but I still remember it now. But even now, if I if I'm rushing around and I go home and flick my shoes off, I will at some point go back to them and actually undo the laces. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it just, you know, for whatever reason, it's it still it's stuck with me, and, and obviously it's stuck with you. And yeah. Maybe it's stayed with a few of the others, but it was just one part of everything needs to be done properly. Um, and again, that's an old school habit that, that I've kept with me. Yeah. Um, don't accept, don't accept second best. Yeah. Um, don't accept it's okay or unlucky. You know, there's a reason it's unlucky, and okay is not necessarily going to get you anywhere. So, um, so yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I forgot all about the two days. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna call them Fordisms because I've got another one, which I say to my son particularly all the time, is when we're getting ready to go somewhere and he's not on time and I, I really get mad at him even if he's like two minutes late. I say, mate, this is the time we said we had to go. Make sure you're ready. And I say to him, you've had all week to be ready. And it's something that you used to say all the time. Like we used to think that doesn't make sense because we've been doing stuff in a week. But your argument was you knew a week ago you had to be at this point at this place at this time. So whatever you did in that week, make sure you prepare yourself to be ready at that time, which is fair enough. So yeah, all the time I say to him, mate, you've had all week to get your, get your stuff ready, to be ready for the, at the front door when I'm going to, when we're taking you to football. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can remember that one, definitely. <laughs> I'm still like it now. So I think, I think that was, Jay, that was down to the fact that be ready and be prepared. So when you get on that pitch at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, you know, don't do all your prep in the last 20 minutes mm. and get your head around a game at 20 to 3. You should be, you know, in full-time football, your prep's all week. But even in the part-time game, 
you know, you get lads that train on a Thursday, shut their bag in the back of the car after training, get to the game, and they're still covered in mud. Mm. And I know it's I know it's part time, but I'm still a stickler for okay. At some point, then you must be thinking about the game. There yeah. must be some time where you go on a Saturday morning. We've got a game this afternoon, yeah. uh, and it's really important for everybody else that we get the right result. Um, and, and I and honestly, there have been times over the years where I, I've sort of challenged and questioned myself to go: Is it? Am I being a little bit daft for being that aimless about timekeeping? And then I listened to a podcast with Clive Woodward. When he took over it with the England rugby team, and he talked about how he said to the group of players, if you're ever late, it's going to be a problem. How do we deal with it? And the England rugby team created a thing called Lombardi time, where if it was a two o'clock meet, it was a 10 to 2 meet. Hmm. And it created that being early is on time. Yeah. And in my teaching, in my teaching capacity at college, lads started nine, nine o'clock. And they walk in at quarter to nine, 10 to nine. And I, I went, sometimes I'll go, you're early. No, Mike, we're on time. <laughs> <laughs> like it, like it. So it. It's just, it is literally about preparation and being ready. Yeah. And it also allows for like any eventuality. Like when some will sit around and leave, it sounds like I'm really catered in now, but it's things that he does that I think you could do better where he'll say, oh, the bus leaves in 10 minutes, but the walk is five minutes away. I'll be like, well, Leave a little bit earlier because the bus may come sooner. You don't know, or you may drop your wallet on the way. Anything could happen, but just don't leave it to the last minute. And also, except to no excuses, like he'll say, "Well, I, I've been doing this, or I was hoovering, or I was tired, and I was doing that." I was like, "But mate, that's irrelevant because I've seen you on your phone, or I've seen you watching a bit of TV." So if you take that out of the equation, that buys you more time. But in his mind, it's like, "I, I appreciate it because we all waste time sometimes." But when it, they say affects other people, I can see it affecting him. Um, by not being early, as you say, or being on time, that's when it really gets you thinking because you're, how you act for that is you, how you're going to take it into football, but also into your life. And that's the way I see them interoperable. The skills I learned, habits I learned playing football, I've taken into my work life, my personal life, and yeah, really, really treasure them. Well, it, take, it takes away, being, being early, stroke on time, it, it just takes away the stress, doesn't it? Yeah. So you can, you can, you've got to meet in a dressing room at quarter two and you never ask what you sit, relax. You know, listen to someone on your phone, what, or chat to, chat to lads in the dressing room. It's all chilled and relaxed. Whereas, if you're desperately trying to get yourself there at two o'clock, you're in your car, you're breaking the speed limit, you're running over somebody on a zebra crossing, and you get there and it's stress and you know you're yeah. anxious and everyone's looking at you, and it just means you can just have a normal day. Yeah, and it's it's funny because there are some people in life that don't fully understand, that, especially in the football world where. There may be fines involved or even just banter when you're walking through late and everyone gives you a clap and then you're known as the late person. I remember when I played at City when you were there with Justin and my missus um, went, wanted to go to the shops. I'm sat in the car park thinking, I need to be there in 10 minutes. So I dropped her off, speeding <laughs> to get to football just to make sure that I'm not late. And I think I was a minute late and I tried to manage to sneak in. But I think you saw me, you saw me come in and say, what time was it, Jamie? Oh, for, sake, but for, for me, it was like <laughs> let, letting myself down letting the team down, letting you down, thinking, I know being on time is critical and is important to everyone. So, yeah, if that's instilled in the team, again, we take that out onto pitch and, um, yeah, creates a, creates a mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And, and going back to um, 
my observation, I would do things differently. Um, even that, I didn't, I didn't realize this. It's amazing what you learn over a period of time. But I was a reflector of stuff. Mm. So training session, I, I sort of probably walk away and have a little think about it. But I, I would sometimes go, that's the players. Didn't work because of the players. <laughs> so Josiah is out of stink for today. He can't pass or control it back to cement. So it's nothing to do with me. It wasn't my session. My session was great, but the yeah. players couldn't cope. But now taking responsibility for everything is, as a coach, what you need to do. When a team wins, it's the players. Mm. Give it to the players. The, la the last person you blame is the players on the back of a defeat. If you lose a game of football, the first place you go to is yourself. Yeah. Second place you go to is your staff. The last place you go to is your players. Yeah. And if some players have made some, some poor choices, you know, decision-making or execution of a pass, it's cost the team a goal or cost the team a, a goal against, then it's a conversation. Mm. You know, I can imagine you can remember very clearly times I've come in and blasted them out. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't need it. They didn't need it because it wasn't their fault. Yeah. So that's that's something that over a period of time you go, do you know what? Again, I, I work the same age group now. I work with 16 to 19 year olds. And they are kids, they're children. Mm. You know, as much as we all want to they all want to think they're grown up and adults, they're not. And they've got so much learning to do and so naive. And um, you have to look after them. Yeah. And that's something that I, I don't I don't regret anything, but if I can have my time again, I'll, I'd like to take a little bit more care of, over that group that I had. And the little story, uh, Mike Alexis, um, fantastic talent, didn't fulfill his potential. And I always said, somebody asked me, and I always said, oh, he's a bit soft. Do you know what? I didn't look after him. He bumped into me in a pub in, in Oxford, and he came up to me, and he said, look, Mike, he said, I really respect you. He said, but you didn't do the right thing for me. I said, go on. He said, I needed you to put your arm back and you didn't. So I, I treated Mike like he was me. Mm. I didn't need an arm around the shoulder, but he did. But at that time, I didn't realise it. And it, I can still remember it today, him saying those words. And it made me feel really like, oh, okay, I've let somebody down. Mike could have been a fantastic footballer. Mm. I mean, he had his injuries and stuff. But what a talent he was at 16, 17. Definitely, he didn't fulfill it because I probably, probably, I didn't maybe treat him the way I should have done. Yeah. So that, that's something that doesn't necessarily hang around with me every day, but it helps me deal with people today. So from yeah. my experience, reflection, learn, try and make the next situation better. I lo love the comment you made there at the start as well about personal respons responsibility. Um, a lot of the stuff I do around coaching now is about, yes, people taking responsibility for their actions. So, yeah, you say as a management, as a coach, you take responsibility, but also then the players need to understand for their part, they take responsibility. And then collectively, then you say, we have, we have a conversation, we have a discussion about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I think there, there are different ways to, to manage, lead, coach. Ultimately, you want the team you're working with to have some autonomy and independence to make decisions and make those decisions in the free knowledge that if they get it wrong, it's okay. Um, I don't want to say, I don't want to come across as now being a saint on the touchline. You know, I'm far from that, obviously. I'm far from that. But there are times where I do lose my rack. 
because of, you know, bit of passion, what's he doing? Why has he done that? Um, but then you don't take it any further. It's just an arm around someone's shoulder, have a chat about it and deal with it very differently. Um, but it is, it's, you know, we, we all, so I teach sport and I have lots of students that would like to go into the sports industry as a coach. And I talk to them often about be yourself. Don't try and be somebody else. Coach your character, be the way you want to be, set your own goals, set your own standards, try and get the people you're working with to understand their responsibility and the standards that you're trying to drive. But just be yourself. I think when people try and copy and be something they're not, that's probably when it falls down. So I've not seen your coach, Jay, but, but just listening to you and knowing you as a lad, you probably do that. You, you, you do what you want to do in the way you want to do it. And, and that's key. Mourinho has been brilliant for football, but not many would do it the way he does it, but he's done it the way he wanted to. Yeah. You know, others coach, coach differently. Klopp comes across as being a very different type of leader, very sort of family orientated. We're all under you know, that one umbrella, that, that togetherness. And he's successful. There's no right or wrong way. Just do it the way you think it should be done, but make sure yeah. you learn along that journey. Definitely. Okay, I'm going to go back and do one more 40 years of now, which... I knew you were. Can't <laughs> wait, can you? Yeah, you, you mentioned um, Michael Alexis, and it's something that whenever we're together, someone says it, we always pipe up at the same time. And so I remember this story vividly. It was our first season. We were first year, um, first year scholars, sorry. So we were the second and third years. Jordan Holder, we'd had a pre-season and we had to do like a, an open uh, review, which we did a lot of. After each game, we do a review of our performance. Um, I think that was really good because then you had to be honest because everyone played in the game with you. So they watched the game that you played and so you couldn't lie and say you did great things where... Some players did. Uh, so some players thought they had a world here they didn't, and you, you soon let them know. But yeah, we were doing a, a review of preseason. Jordan had been with the first team. He'd been to some away games. I think he played a couple of games and maybe scored a goal. And um, he was one of the first ones to go. So everyone's ready, thinking, oh, I know what I'm going to say. So Jordan did his spiel, been with the reserves, been with the first team, scored a few goals. Can't ask, can't ask for much more than that. And your response, it makes me laugh now, was, you fucking well can, by the way. <laughs> Sorry for the throw. But everyone looked and thought, Jordan's probably done the best out of all of us. And we didn't think, yeah, you could have done much more. But in your eyes, no, don't, don't, don't settle for that. You can always do more. And I say that all the time when people say, can't ask for much more than that. I say, well, you, you can. You can ask, you can want more. And I remember, I think maybe your time had gone. Uh, we had a psych, psychologist in the club. Um, and we were getting an open session. And she was talking about having setting goals. And she said about our goalkeeper not setting goals too high. And I said... I beg your pardon. She said, well, they've got to be realistic. She said, if you're playing Man United, you might say I let in one or two goals. I went, no, that's that's not right. And she went, well, no, you've got to be really realistic. I said, as a goalkeeper, he doesn't want to let any goals in. So whether it's Man United or Morecambe, he's going to say, I'm not conceding today. And she couldn't get that. Obviously, she didn't understand where I was coming from. And I refused to understand where she was coming from, saying, even though you say that's realistic, in his mind, he should be saying, I'm not conceding today. Um, which gave me, I think, the nickname Union Man in the in the club but yeah it's about setting your expectations and from that everyone then knew to, knew whatever you think you've done well know that you could have done better and in whatever way even if it's just minute you can always have done better there was always something you can re reflect on well i think that's so one not one one of the things that i get frustrated at is when 
I'd listen to somebody tell me about, oh, he could have been this. He was such a good player. He fell out with a manager, didn't get on with the coach. Mm. And I used to be sympathetic to that. Oh, that's a bit of a shame. And, you know, and now I'm like, well, there's reasons that he didn't get on with the coach. There's reasons he fell out with a manager. There's reasons that he didn't or she didn't have a career in football. Mm. And basically it's down to the, their application. So if you have a nice performance on a Saturday, this is what being in full-time football really helped me with. It helps me with my job now. Is that you have a really good performance on a Saturday. You come in on a Monday and the manager will run a bollocks off you. You couldn't celebrate. You could only celebrate Saturday. Come Monday morning, you're back on it because there's another game somewhere down the line. And that's somewhere down the line. Might be Tuesday night, might be next Saturday. So forget all this, you know, celebrating a victory. That's part of the job. Hmm. Um, you need to move on to the next bit very, very quickly. And probably when you look at Jordan, that's where I was going with it. Okay, Jordan, you've done that. That's great. But that's okay. Get on with something else now. Yeah. Get yourself in the first team squad every single week, not just now and again because there's a few injuries. So, and then when you've played 200, 300 games, then you can say you've had a bit of a career. Hmm. Um, and I know sometimes there, is, there are some really tragic stories about players you know, having injuries and, and not necessarily fulfilling fulfilling the potential is always going to be that. But for those ones that there is that sob story, there's a reason for it. Um, and I, I was just trying to prepare you boys to have a career, not just have a flirtation with the first team squad every now and again. Yeah. And I, I make similar comments to my son who, as I said on the phone, he had time at Reading. And on the journey there, I used to say to him, I'm, I'm facilitating this journey, I said, but you need to know in your mind, there are players that are better than you that can't that can't make this journey for whatever reason. So you need to value this time that you have here. And I always, always used to say to him, you no matter what you think about how good you are or other players, how good they are, you need to be the best that you can be. So whether you think you're the best and you're not being picked and it's not fair, I said, you couldn't be Ronaldo and have Ronaldo's disciplined dedication and talent and not be picked. Nobody would not, I know, obviously, in the, in the level he's at now, he sometimes doesn't get picked, but he could not be, not, not be a professional, double negative there, sorry. Yeah, he has to be a professional because of his attitude and the way, the way he performs. So if you are Ronaldo-esque, there's no one on this world that can say no to you. Well, you might not wait, make it at, any, at one certain club or certain manager, but along the line, if you keep that, that mindset, that application, as you, as you mentioned, you will make it along the line. And nothing's guaranteed in life, but why, I used to always say to my son, you need to give yourself the best chance. And the best chance is being professional. And it's hard to say to someone, be professional 100% of the time, but as much as you can in everything you do, you give then give yourself the best opportunity. Well, if whichever group of players I'm working with now, Jay, is I, I, will, I will always tell them, you pick the team. You know, I just write the names down between one and 11, but you pick it. And then there's that inquisitive look. If you say, well, no, that we don't pick it because you sit there on Friday night chat with the rest of the staff right? yeah. and, and I'm, I'm like, okay, so if the goalie has done kept a clean sheet on a Saturday and then turns up and trains well on a Tuesday and Thursday, he's picked. So he's picked himself. So, and I always talk to, to lads not in the squad about don't wait for an opportunity because if you wait, you're not going to be ready and then you're going to get your opportunity and you're going to be out of the team pretty quick. I said, 
make sure you're ready for the time when, for whatever reason, court, you know, someone's dropped their levels, someone's suspended, someone's injured, or in non-league football, as we all know, they've gone to a wedding, gone to the races. Someone's so it's all changed. Game's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you're out of it and you get your chance, be ready and then train well the next week and then you get picked. So it's always the players that pick the team. You know, I don't think in my whole time I've ever gone the eight players I don't like them. Mm. Sometimes you pick players, you know they're a pain in the backside, you know they're difficult characters to work with, but when they're in full flow on a Saturday afternoon, they're going to win a game for you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, that, it's probably a, a nice way to try and say to the lads, don't have a night off, as in turn up but don't do your best it's, it's throw yourself at it whatever you're doing whenever we're together as a group just throw yourself at it and then you're going to get yourself in the team you reminded me then of um who i oh, would say there is one coming but this is this is like a, a model pro who i would call a model pro dave oldfield who some people might say he was busy but the being ready part i remember we had a reserve game once and he was doing full-on sprints in the warm-up he wasn't starting he was doing full-on sprints and he said come on boys and he said, his argument was, well, it's just true. He said, well, someone could get injured in the first minute. You need to be ready, as ready as the boys that are playing. But in our mind, it was like, well, no, because we want to conserve energy. We're not starting. But he came in the dressing room after the warm-up, full-on sweat, like he played a full 90 minutes before the game. And that one obviously goes down to his mindset and also fitness. So maybe we weren't fit enough in the mind and body to think, actually, we can do a full-on warm-up, be sweating, dripping with sweat, and then go on in, in the first minute if we need it, if someone goes down injured. So that that mindset of being ready, I'd say I've, I've taken on, but not as much as Dave Oldfield. For me, he was, yeah, he had a, a good career in the game and management, but that mindset obviously sort of saw him through that time. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, Dave's, Dave's a lovely guy. He, he, had, he didn't have a good, he had a fantastic career. He only played 700 games. And um, he, he mirrors his ability with the hard work and the graph. So you do get some who have the ability, but can take or leave the graft. You get some with, and I'll probably classify myself as this when I played as having an okay ability set. You know, I was okay at a lot of things. I'm nice left foot, wasn't particularly quick, but I worked my socks off every single time I turned up. And I think sometimes when I looked at players who had way more ability than me and didn't necessarily work as hard. I resented them a little bit because I'm thinking, Christ, what a career you could have yeah. if you just decided to give everything you've got to it. You could be a millionaire, you could play, you know, whatever it is, 700, 600 games, you could do that, but there's, bit, there's always bits missing. So the bit missing for me was no pace. Could run all day, up and down, but no pace. But I, I managed to have a career because I just wanted to be in the team. Yeah. So I do everything I could to be in team. And I see that now, obviously, watching young players play. I mentioned I'm back playing now. And the the longer I've played and the levels I've played at, I look around, I think these there's lots of players are thinking, you have bag way, way more ability than I had at your age. And I played at a high level. I'm thinking, what are you doing here? And it, it baffles me to this day. Like even now where I'm playing, at some point I'm thinking, you've got something about you. Um, yeah. That I, I don't know what it is. Is it the some of the mindset has changed from say your era, where it's just not I wouldn't say soft, but it's the the determination, dedication. Because obviously some 
young boys have got that and you see them have good careers or start to have good careers but for me it's like I would look at these boys and think I would kill to have your ability back in my, back in my day <laughs> well again so I, I think and again I am not envious honestly envious of the modern generation of footballers at all at the time it was absolutely brilliant we we could not do things now that we did then because of social media. We couldn't, right? <laughs> so we, we leave it at that, but we couldn't, right? So we had such a fun time. Um, and we had to work bloody hard to get in the team, to stay in the team, to get a new contract, to keep the job. Um, I think there's not a problem. I think premiership football is such a spectacle. I love watching it. Every opportunity. Last night I was watching uh, Leeds and Villa. Great, Villa were brilliant, great game of football, pace, technical ability, everything. And again, if it's a problem or not, I don't know. Young players get massive rewards without doing anything. They sign a contract at 14, taking them through to 19, and they're on, they're on 10 grand a week. Now, what would have I had to done to earn 10 grand a week when I was playing? Yeah. Well, a lot more than the young lads of the modern generation have to do. So if you're a modern young player and you're being given these rewards, monies, cars, the ability to buy fantastic houses, and you play two games of football, what's the motivation to yeah. get in a team yeah. and to be not a squad player or a young player at Chelsea, to be the numero uno in the first team? Yeah. Because... I've just got a massive car. I've got three cars. I've got two houses. I bought my mum and dad a house. I go to Dubai every six weeks. Yeah. I've played two games. Yeah. But what else do I need to do? What, what is the motivation? That's probably, yeah, that's going to take away some careers for some of those young players. You always said a uh, Les Taylor saying there, who motivates the motivator? <laughs> Which again, I, I've mentioned a few times on the podcast. <laughs> I still, I still live by that now. Um, I was going to make a point. Oh, so yeah, one more for years and then, um, which, <laughs> no, 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 it's a good one. And I say it to my family and they probably get sick of it. You can have, you can have or do anything in life if you have the time, money and inclination. And when you look at anything, people might argue with that when I say, no, break it down because sometimes the money is not and a massive thing. It might just be um, petrol in the car or um, the equipment. So it might not be a massive outset, but the time, can you find a time or can you commit to the time and the inclination? Do you really want to do it? How much do you want to do it? Um, I've committed this month to running um, uh, 22 minutes for 20 days. That's uh, something for, yeah, for 20 days. And like, on day 15 now, day 13, my knees were hurting. It was like, I know, actually, I've, I've committed to it. But my, I'm inclined to do it because I've set myself a challenge. And there's so, so much in life, you think, oh, I could easily just say no to that. I've got the time, I've got the money, but I don't want to do it. Or I've got the money, I want to do it, but I'm not making I'm not making the time. So I'm not making the time to make the time. So yeah, when I look at it and think, if you can implement all those three things, there's yeah, I think you'd be unstoppable. Well, money. I mean, there are if you're driven by money, then then that's fine. That's up to you. I mean, I would never ever driven by money. It no. never was a consideration. No, I, no I, we've had the, the, the money to be able to do something. So the financial. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so what I'm saying is, is that my drive was the fact I wanted to achieve something. So yeah. my driver was being the first team to have a career in football. Um, the inclination was, you know, my motivation was I just wanted to play football. I wanted to play in front of 10,000 people every week. You know, I wanted the adulation of scoring up a goal, winning the game of football in 
in all that comes with it. And the, the time bit is basically you can spend as much time as you like. Mm. You know, you can train and go home, or you can train and do extras. You can have a day off, or you can come in on your day off. Um, you know, all those those little extra pieces are the bits of the jigsaw that those like if you, if again if you look at Ronaldo as your example, um, fantastically talented but committed physically as well, and committed yeah. to being the best. And he might say, do you know what? I've played in the same era as Lionel Messi, and my driver was to be better than him. Mm. Fine. It wasn't the money. It was the money came with it. You know, all those rewards of the monetary bits come with it. Whatever his driver was, he's had a fantastic career. You know, what a physical specimen, how hard he works every single day. Yeah. You don't get paid 400 grand a week by, you know, turning up late for training, going home early, you know, having a day off when you shouldn't have. You know, he commits to it totally. So that commitment to it totally is, is a massive key to being successful. So that's a, that's a good segue, actually. So talking about success, I'm going to talk about our era. I, I'll call it our era because I'm clutching to be part of it. But I always call it the golden generation. Um, I've had many conversations about this and people have said, well, Fordy inherited, inherited a team. But I always dismiss that. The fact that the era of um, Sam Ricketts, Dean Whitehead, then you had Jamie Brooks, Chris Hackett's. Um, and then the, the age group below, they had Jordan Holder, Calvin, Phil Wilson, um, and then our, our generation, sorry, myself, Michael, Adam Garner, Matthew Brandon. I don't want to miss some names out, but there were, there were quite a few names. But we achieved a lot in those two to three years with you at the helm. And yeah, as I said, some people might argue, oh, yeah, they were good players, but it, it took leadership. And there were times where yeah, things weren't right. We had team meetings, as you said, people had bollockings whether they liked it or not. And you either take it on a chin or you go inside yourself. But it was, uh, I think for a lot of us, it was the making of us. Well, I think the ones that say I inherited the group are exactly right. I will always give credit to the coaches at Oxford United that developed Sam Ricketts, Dean Whitehead, um, Brooksy, Kingy, Chrissy Hackett, and so on. They, they deserve full credit. I think when I, when I first came in, I looked at someone like Simon King, who very laid back, no real great pace, but could defend and had a great left foot, but didn't know how to play left back. So for me, the bits I gave the group with the, the game understanding and that ability to play as a team and to win games of football, I couldn't technically improve Kingy, I could definitely improve Brooksy. I mean, he was a fantastic talent. And, and everybody else, you know, technically we can work just to hone your talents but there was no way after spending you know, 10 years at Oxford United or, or 10, 12 years of being coached coming to me, me to improve me drastically. I just felt that the bit I could help with was that game management, winning games of football, hanging on to games, that resilience, that toughness, that being together and, and enjoying a victory. Um, the talent the lads had developed over a number of years. I was just fortunate that I came at that time was able to work with those lads. And we did win those two divisions for those two consecutive years. And we had a couple of runs in, in cups. And but the, the biggest thing is the fact those lads went on their careers, you know, and, and yourself has had a career in non-league football and played at a nice level. And most of those lads went and did something. Um, and I played a small part, Jay. I played a small part in this, but hopefully an important part. So I'm going to be controversial now. 
and so you said they had good careers. You had international players. You've got players now that are in um, football league management. Um, I always look up to those, those two years above us. I think you guys did really well. And there was a bit of a lull the year above us in our year. We really didn't really achieve anything. And if someone asked me in detail, I'll give them a sob story about, oh, we, we had too many managers. Like after you left, we had a few interim managers or the first team weren't doing very well, so we weren't going to get through. The ITV money messed it all up. Um, yeah, we weren't given a chance. But if I'm honest with myself, I'll look back and think, yeah, that Jordan Holder moment, now I could have done more. And there were times when I know people looked at me and said, oh, you're doing really well, Jay. I know it was commented by a few backroom staff. It's noticed what you're doing. Like you mentioned, could have could controlled the ball, could have controlled a, um, well, like, um, like a bag of cement or something. But I understood my attribute was my pace and my strength. I had to work on my touch. And I'd like to say now, I challenge anyone to a two-touch tournament because I worked hard for my three years there on practice and that. I used to kick the ball against the wall. I remember Dave Oldfield coming out, again, busy Dave Oldfield, saying, Jay, you're just kicking the ball against the wall. Do it with purpose. So do left foot, right foot, change your angle and all sorts, which I, I took, took, took that on board. But yeah, as I said, looking back, I know there's stuff that I could have done more. And you mentioned coming in on, coming in on your day off. I say it to myself all the time, like when you're practicing, when you decide to go in now or, or do another 10 minutes, why can't you do another 10 minutes? And then that sets you out. Actually, yeah, I've set, allocated this time. Why not do that little bit extra? Um, what do you, I'll question for you then, our year, what do you think was the key driver of us not probably achieving what we thought we should have done when we were, when we were signed? So we say we as a team or, or we as individuals? Um, I, say, I say we as individuals because obviously I think generally when scholars get signed at that time, it was maybe three or four players from the team and our couple of players, I think we had about eight, eight of us come through. When you look around thinking they must think highly of us to want to put us through, put us on the, on the, on the book, so to speak. And obviously some of those were funded by the, by the FA and some weren't. So I'm thinking they've, they've taken a gamble on us. They must see something. And arguably we didn't really achieve anything, whereas generations above us did. Um, the I think, okay, again, it's a long time ago, but when I look at the manager coming in, Ian Atkins, he was very much down the line of experience. Unless you were 30 years of age and you played 200 league games, you were never going to get a team. So that pathway for you young players was gone. Mm. Now, whether you acknowledged that at the time or whether you understood that and then that affected, well, okay, what's the point in all of this because we're never going to get in the team? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I think I think having a change of manager, coach, often, it's a bit like my experience when I went to Cardiff on trial, I got a contract, the manager offered me the contract, got the sack, so I had to start again. It probably felt like you were starting again a lot. So whoever, Les did it for a bit, I'm assuming. Did Les do Yeah, we had Les for a little bit, then Darren Patterson, Patto in for a bit. Yeah. So again, as young, you know, I, I did stress the fact that you were kids, you were children, and you had to deal with me, and you had to deal with Les, and you had to deal with Darren, and we're all different characters, and you had to get to, you know, they get, we had to get to know you, you had to get to know how they were, but probably more importantly, expectations. Um, and it probably was a difficult time, um, but, but probably ultimately, being successful as an individual and success you can gauge it however you like um, is about the talent and the hard work being aligned and giving yourself a chance. Yeah. 
So whether the fact you maybe missed a couple of sessions or you didn't go in on the day off, or or maybe your left foot was for standing on like my right foot was today, <laughs> whatever it was, that there's just those little components missing yeah. that could have taken you to where you wanted to get to. Yeah, because I have to follow up with everyone that I speak to to say, because the generation below us did quite well, because you had Tom Winters who made an appearance under Graham Ricks, you had Craig Davis that came through, I think Brady, the goalkeeper, made, made it, um, a first to be appearance. So it just seemed to be that the two years, like nothing happened. So make it out what you will. I look back and think, yeah, we could have tried a lot harder. And as you say, if the, the pathway was closed, did we then look... So I missed out Dexter Blackstock as well. He was the year below us. But then you look at the path, you look, if the pathway's closed, what do you need to then do to continue being professional to get a place in the team, whether it's high non-league or football league elsewhere? Yeah, it's probably, it's probably what you do when you leave as well. So, so in my current role as joint manager at St. Ives, we, we've actually had a psychologist in working with the players. And a lot of players have had these historical disappointments being released from pro clubs mm. and their dream, you know, as, as your, your dream's gone. So you've had 10 years of, I want to be a professional footballer. And on the basis of one conversation, that's almost gone. Um, and some of them were still coming to, so some of them are 23, 24, and they're still coming to terms with the fact that it never quite happened for them. And they've got friends or associates that they were in the same group with who actually are still having a professional career. And it weighs them down. It does weigh them down. And I never actually realised that. I just thought that lads left pro clubs. They try and stay in the programme now. And I think they should probably just go top end on these football as best they can and play. And get back doing it that way. Um, but there's a lot, a lot that, that go missing. A lot give up really early. So they've spent 18 months trying to get back in it. 18 months going around the non-league scene and go, do you know what? I've had enough. Now, if they have had enough, they probably lack, lack that real passion of the game to say, no, I'm going to keep going. I've still got a chance. I still believe in myself. And we can all believe in ourselves. There also needs to be somebody that goes, don't worry, Jay. If you keep going, you can do this. That might be your dad, your mum, a mate, whoever that is, having somebody alongside you. So when I fell out of the game at 18 at Leicester, my dad, who'd been a pro, knew what it took to be a pro. He kept nudging me. Come on, Mike. Come on, you're going to be good enough. You can keep doing this. Don't worry. It will work out for you. And it did. Um, and for others, it has also. And for, but for lots, it hasn't. Um, there's lots of variations, honestly. There is. No, no one story is probably the same as another one. Um, and we've all got our own, our own journeys that we've been on. Yeah. Um, and again, it's, it's how you judge success. You know, I might sit here, Jay, and go, you know, yours was unsuccessful because you didn't play. But you're sat here right now with a fantastic family, looking fit as a fiddle, know exactly what you want to do. And I might go, do you know what? Actually, you've been really successful. Yeah. Just, you know, even though I play the amount of games I play, you might be more successful than me. But it's how you, that's how you gauge it. And you need to gauge it yourself and judge it yourself. Don't judge it by what somebody else tells you. Judge it by how you think you want to gauge that success. Yeah, definitely. And that's the one of the, the subtitles of the, the podcast. It's conversations with the successful um, creative outliers and who decides who created, who's creative, who decides who's successful. Well, it's all about opinions. Um, and for me, one of the key drivers to asking you to have this conversation is you mentioned that 
when you were 18, you, you made, made friendships and bonds at Leicester that you still have now. I'm um, similar. We still speak to a lot of the boys. And I um, spoke to Adam, Adam Garner recently. And he said, those three years, they were short, but they were the best time of our lives. And of recent, obviously, we've, we've, we've lost a few people. Um, I mentioned them, Rob Cruz, um, Joe Beecham recently, and also Mickey Lewis. And for me, it was actually, look, these conversations I'm having with people, it's one, to have an insight and can they offer a bit of advice, but also is to document it because everyone has a story. Not everyone gets to tell it and not everyone's just going to be heard, but if there's a record of it and someone can come back to it at a later time and it has, is valuable to someone, then yeah, it's, it's worth having. And every time, when someone passes, you everyone always thinks, oh, make the most of life, um, live life to the full and all that, but how much do we actually, do, do we take that on board? I think when you're 20, Jay, and you say, I'm going to make the best, best of my life, you never think life's going to be. When you get to my age now, 56, you're looking back. So what you've, you know, the amount of years you've been alive, the amount of years in front of you are less. Mm. But, you know, I don't necessarily like talking about myself. I've got still massive drivers to achieve. You know, I got to 50 and I decided I want to be a teacher. So I did a teaching degree. Um, two years ago, I applied for a job internally and got turned down because I didn't have a qualification. So I've gone and got a qualification. Um, you know, if you want to do something, you can do it. Yeah. Uh, there might be barriers in the way, obstacles, but you can get over them. Um, it's very easy to go for an interview, get turned down, and go, okay, fair enough, and stay where you are. And again, I was listening to a podcast by the, I think he's, he might still be the current England Rugby League manager. I think his name's Sean Wen. And he talked about how he went into a bank and he was chatting to the, the bank teller and the bank teller said, so he was on about uh, waiting for his retirement. So how, when, when are you going to retire? So the, the cash teller said 11 years time. And he went, so you're waiting 11 years for your retirement. And he, he coined the phrase, he said, can't wait for Friday, but don't want to don't see a Sunday. So basically, wait for Friday, I'm off for the weekend, I hate a Sunday because we're about to work on a Monday. Yeah. And if you like that, you need to do another job, you need to go somewhere else, because you can't wait for your pension mm. just because you need to enjoy what you do, you need to have a passion and love for it. And um, you know, the job we did, Jay, professional football, it's the best job ever. Nothing yeah. could ever replace it, but we do the best we can to try and get somewhere near it. Mm. Yeah, there, there, were, there were times, I, the first conversation I had was of this podcast was with Eddie Odiambo and Danny Rose, and I was asking about their experiences, and it got to a point where it was a lot of like dark, dark stuff, and Eddie had to say, but actually, there were more good days than bad days. Like We're not putting a negative spin on it, we're just talking about our experience, and there were days when yeah, we, I thought to myself, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. But those days were very few compared to the good days we had, whether it was playing games, training, or just just being around the boys and, yeah, growing up with, with each other, which was, you know, again, I say daily, I recount a story from, from youth, youth team day, which was, what, only three years of my life. But, yeah, amazing times, and I have definitely learned a lot. So, yeah, part of this as well was giving flowers to say, yeah, thank you, Forty, for, for what, you, what you taught us, the habits and stuff. There were times where... You probably thought, what, what an ass, but <laughs> you were, you were preparing, yeah, preparing, us, I, I, preparing us for life. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, do you know what, Jay? When I look back, you know, I said very early in this, this podcast that I would do things very differently. Um, but 
I still like to think, however I did it, I had a positive impact on, on people's lives. Yeah. Um, and I, I know, yeah, I know what some people would, would think and say about me. Um, and they, they're probably, they're probably right, but that was a long time ago. Um, and all I did was do what I thought was best. Um, sometimes I got it wrong. Sometimes I got it, got it right. Um, but that's life anyway. You just have to overcome the tough times, acknowledge, acknowledge your mistakes. That's a big thing. Responsibility, acknowledge your mistakes, learn from them and move on. Wicked, wicked. Great advice. So, um, I'm going to end with the way I end every podcast and ask you if you had a time machine and you can go back to your school gates when you left at, at 16, what one bit of advice would you give yourself? Crikey. 16. Okay, so throw everything you can at it. Don't ever go home and go, yeah, I didn't do enough today. Just whatever your job is, whatever your life is, everything you can at it and see where it takes you. Yeah. And then, then you'll have no regrets. And as much as I say it now about, I don't have regrets. I love who I am. There is stuff that I look back on and think, if I would have just done that a little bit more, which is what I'm trying to instill in my son daily. He's like, mate, again, his talent uh, dwarfs what, what I had. Um, his determination does it as well. Uh, but as me as an adult now, I need to show him, which is what a key driver for me, why I'm still playing, because he's my biggest fan. So daddy can still play. But when I'm playing and training, I'm doing everything I can, putting everything into it, because I think it, my son's watching me. And it's a case of, do as I do, not just as I say. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's, kids are great as well, aren't they? they? They are great because you can mould them into a mini me, can't you? Mm. Um, you know, try and give them those good habits, make them grow up and be respectful and, and understand that you know hard work is is a nice thing to have to be hardworking. So, kids are great. Keep you grounded, say funny things, put a smile on your face, but there's also the pain that comes with them as well, isn't there? But that's all part of the package. Yeah. All part of the package. So, yeah. so, so far, so good. Not, not so much pain. I think my daughter's going to be, um, or give, give me a run for my money. But she's into a, a dancing. She's away at a competition at the moment with her mum. So, again, it, for me, even though I don't know a lot about dancing, it's instilling the determination that she needs to have, the commitment. She trains three or four times a week. Um, yeah, sometimes it's painful, the stuff they're doing. I'm saying, if you want, you want to win the competitions, you want to say you want to be a dancer at, to, to some level, this is, these, this is the, the effort you need to put in. These are the sacrifices you need to make. And that's, that's another thing as well. So about making sacrifices we didn't speak about. But to be professional in any, in any walk of life, you need to make sacrifices. Well, it is so, Jay, it's those choppy waters. And you know when things get difficult, most people give up. Yeah. They do. But the, the difference is the ones that continue and carry on. It sounds like your daughter's doing that. She, you know, there's going to be some tough times where... Crikey, do I want to get out there? Do I want to come home from school and, and go off dancing? Yeah, they do. So um, it, it, it's, it's so easy to give up on something and say, do you know, I'll do something else. It's harder to stick with it when it's going, when things aren't going great. Sorry, on that, I just remembered one more 40 I'm going to leave, I'm going to stuff on this one. <laughs> no, but it's... it's, yeah, it's, it's the other's been all right. The other's been all right. So it's, it's a good go one. And it goes back to the, the busyness that I mentioned about Dave Oldfield, but model pro, but you, people will call him busy. To have that, that to, for those that don't know, to have the title busy just meant you were doing something that the others weren't doing, which in some times is a good thing. And like, if you were doing a run 
as you say, Monday morning, um, doing a run as a team, someone would say, oh, don't be busy, don't go too fast, because we want to stay close as a team. And whenever we do a run, I'd, we'd hear Ford, he wouldn't know where he was, and just shout, anyone fancy taking it on? And everyone would look around and think, who's it going to be? And if someone would go off, then others would follow, because nobody would be last, and nobody would want to look like they weren't putting it in. So then it spurred each other to be better. And so rather than be part of the group, you're being an individual, but you're pushing the group on. So my bit of advice would say, be busy. And I know Garner, if Garner listens and Lex and Brandish, they would say, oh, Jay was so busy. Busy Jay was my nickname. But sometimes they have to think, actually, no, I don't want to be part of the group. I want to say not leave, but I want to be the best in the group. And if that brings everyone else on, then all the, all the better. Yeah, and do you know what, Jay? It's really hard to, to, to take yourself away from that group mentality to go, no, I'm going to do this myself. Uh, and then go back into the group when you need to be with them. That is a difficult, especially being young, it's a really yeah. difficult thing to do. Yeah. So they have, sorry, jumping on your bit of advice. That's, that's, that's the bit of advice I would give to someone as well, is don't be afraid to be the loader, to be busy. Yeah, do, do, what, you, do what you need to do to, to get ahead. Without, yeah. Not without forgetting that the, you need to be part of a group sometimes as well. Yeah. Okay. okay, well, thanks for your time, Ford. I really appreciate it. And for me, this was coming out of my comfort zone when I gave you the call thinking, am I really going to ask him to come on the podcast? Like, what would he say? And then obviously I mentioned the comment you made and started off with a joke and I thought, yeah, to be fair, this, this could be a good conversation. So thank you for agreeing well, to do it. Uh, hopefully people listen. Hopefully it's out, mate. And at any time you've got my number, give me a call. And, um, and I might venture down to Ardley Way to watch you terrorising defences up and down that right wing. I'll, I'll let you know when I'm playing. I've, I've had a couple of appearances, but I was sub not used the other day. And my, my missus went, you went all that way. I said, well, for me, I said, it's a Tuesday night. I wouldn't have been doing anything. I'm with the lads. I did a warm up, had a little run around on the side. I, I don't mind it. And when I do get on, I've come on the other day, I played left back against Arsley for about half an hour. It was, it was nice just to have a run around. We won the game. Lads were buzzing afterwards. It sets up your Saturday evening. <laughs> just try to yeah. reclaim my youth for it. <laughs> you can't get away from that. That's, a, that's like that dressing room, can you? That, that's yeah. the biggest thing of it. That's probably the thing everybody misses. That dressing room sort of togetherness, banter, whatever you want to call it. Um, and still at your ripe old age of, is it 41, is it? 37, or? mate. 37. Oh, 37. <laughs> I'm going I'm to have to give a shout out to someone as well, actually. Um, Anaclet Oriambo. That game the other night for our um Ardley against Homer Green, nearly 40 years old, scored two goals. So we still got it in him. Probably one of the most prolific strikers in the local area. <laughs> First thing is to be fit enough to do it. And secondly, to actually want to do it. Yeah. You know, fantastic for him. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So um, yeah, again, thanks again. If you stay on, we'll do a quick debrief. But for the listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. And um, you'll catch me next time um with a different guest. So take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Fordy for this conversation and taking a trip down memory lane, albeit with the benefit of hindsight. I'm sure players I mentioned from that era will agree, these were the times of our lives and Fordy, amongst others, played a massive part in it, so I hope you can all take something from this. Check out the show notes and be sure to listen to the High Performance Podcast episodes Mike mentioned. If you enjoyed listening, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, follow the Instagram page and share with friends and family. And finally, remember, variety is the spice of life.